Hey everyone, welcome to Roar Like the Lamb. <laughs> Sorry, Chris is wearing. Wait, never mind. You're good. Oh my gosh, I just had a whole thing. It was fun. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, and it's just good to be back with you today. I'm so sorry. I was just looking at our producer, Chris, and yeah. my mind just went into. I'm not even gonna. Yeah. Producer I just, Chris, I, please leave all of this in. Don't edit anything. <laughs> this needs to stay. I need the people to see this. Something happened to my imagination where, like, I looked at Chris, and when he was looking at the screen, I saw the reflection on his glasses. But then I was like, wait, did he just animate his glasses? No, that was just like me freaking out, forgetting that he already wore glasses and didn't have them edited. Oh my goodness. I don't even know how to. You can't respond to that. There's nothing to respond to. But, anyways, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. This entire podcast is 10 minutes laughing hysterically, unable to compose herself. Okay. Don't laugh. No, because don't, the, don't laugh. I can't even say don't it. Don't do it. You don't want me to say it? No, you can say it. Because <laughs> it's so stupid. Okay, she can't I'm, say it. I'm crying. I'm going to say it. I bet you can't. What I wanted to say was, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, and you gobbled until you wobbled. And that was it. <laughs> now I'm crying because I'm losing it. <laughs> I feel like you, you didn't get a lot of sleep last night or something. No, I got eight and a half hours of sleep. Okay. I fell asleep at 10.30, woke up at 7. Okay. I that's, think that's eight and a half. Yeah, that's about. Either way, it's a solid night's sleep. It okay. was, but I, maybe perhaps it was too much. And you know, you, you ever have oh, that? Oh, you're overly rested and so you're insane today. Yes. That's a thing though. <laughs> like, you, no, you ever like get too much rest and you're like extra tired? No? Okay, never mind. No. There's like a thing where you can get too much and you're just actually like not really. You just end up lethargic? Yeah. Huh. For, throughout the day. Or loony in my case, but. Yeah, that's... loony, that's for sure. <laughs> See, I find I'll, I'll usually get a little bit kooky if I haven't slept enough. That's I'm, true. If I'm overly yeah, tired. Yeah, sleep deprivation yeah. is a real thing. Um, I'm just, it's yeah. probably not a thing though. I have that if I, if I am, um. Yeah, if I'm a little bit sleep deprived, but then little things will will just be much funnier than they actually are. Mm. They'll just they'll just really crack me up. So years back, uh, as chaplain at Catholic Heart Work Camp, we had to uh, drive someone to the closest airport, which was about an hour and a half away, and uh, I was one of the people who was serving with with the staff that was actually uh, allowed to drive. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> all the other staff members were super young, um, they were in their their early twenties, and oh. so there were only the those who were over the age of twenty five were allowed to drive the Catholic Heart Work Camp vehicles. Mm-hmm. So we had to drive this this guy to a, to an airport, um, but we had to do it late at night. It was kind of an emergency that he had to get home. Oh wow! So we're driving this guy to the airport, me and um, the the camp manager, and we're driving. We had to go through a, a toll, so we pay the toll and uh, drop him at the at the airport and come back. And so it's an hour and a half there, hour and a half back. So as, as we're coming back, it's like one in the morning oh, and man. we're dri- we're going through the toll 
and the, the lady taking the toll was just the least pleasant person you could possibly imagine. I'm trying to be nice. Hey, how are you? Thanks so much. <laughs> and she just gives me this death glare as we're going through the toll. And I remember Kate just looked at me and she started cracking up. And I said, what's so funny? She said, did you see the look? I said, yeah, I saw the look. And then we laughed about it for 45 minutes while we were driving because it was so funny. It wasn't funny, but it was funny. Forty-five yeah, minutes. Yeah, we just like that set us off, and and wow. it just that was the whole thing. Yeah. Everything is funnier when you're not, you know, when not I'm, well rested. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. So anyway, I'm glad that you're well rested though, and that yeah. Uh, that, that, that Do you want to hear a funny pun? Gobble till you wobble. No, well, that's, that's not. not a pun. That's not a pun. So it's just a rhyme. It's more like a joke. Okay. All right. I'm nervous. What is a kidnapper's favorite sneaker? Kidnapper's favorite sneaker is, I don't know. This is probably too much. White Vans. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. Ah, that's terrible. Yes, it is. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Okay. Anyways, I digress. White Vans. I think we just titled the episode. <laughs> okay. I heard that on a dad joke and I started laughing um, and I was like, that's funny. Let's share it with Father Sam. Wow. But you know what? You laughed. I did because so it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. You have to laugh at it because it's the only way. Otherwise, the, the re- oh my goodness. All right. <laughs> Tell me what you want to talk about. You have a topic. Um, oh, I mean, I what did I want to say? She started off. She said, I've got a topic. We're going to talk about it and I'm, I'm really excited about this. Oh, I have to come back to it. Oh, Okay, so at Crossroads, we're doing the biblical author of the Mass, and I had to talk about the consecration. And there was something that was really cool that I was learning as I was listening to Edward Shree, but also um, then giving the presentation, is the idea of memorial is not the modern connotation that we think about it. Uh, so when you celebrate the mass, it is a memorial of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross mm-hmm. for us. And Edward Shree was telling us that in order for us to understand memorial, we have to understand how first century Jews would have understood this. So when they would celebrate Passover, they weren't just simply celebrating a remembrance of that one event where the Lord passed over them, but they believed that every time they celebrated Passover, they were actually walking with their ancestors out of Egypt, like they were with them. They were like, that was made present to them so that it wasn't just an event like we're celebrating every year, but like we're actually experiencing a past event now in the present and entering into it. And that was really cool to recognize. I knew that's what happens when you go to mass. Like when you go to mass, Calvary is being made present to you. You are like, you're there. That one event that happened 2000 years ago, we walk into it every single mass. But what I didn't know is that the the, um, the Jewish people also had a similar um, idea. And obviously mm. that's kind of where we get it from because, you know, Catholicism has grown from the Jewish tradition. But I thought that was just like really beautiful and really fascinating because um, when I then go to mass in my you know, recognizing it. I'm at Calvary at every single mass. Like Calvary is being made present to me. It's not just being represented. It's not just a remembrance, but it's like, you're literally walking into it and it transcends all of time. Uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to, to talk about was just, um, how do you enter into the mass? Like, how do you, mm. how do you approach it? Is it, um, 
we can kind of approach it in like a present period, like, oh, I'm just here for today, not recognizing that it's also an eternal worship at the same time. Yeah. And we can forget about that. Um, spiritual amnesia is a very real thing. <laughs> spiritual amnesia. I like that. Yeah. It's a very real thing. And so sometimes we can get caught, so caught up in like the present things that are happening in our everyday life that, um, you know, our life here on earth is like a blip compared to eternity. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of cultivate this awareness of, of that. So I thought that was really cool. And you obviously probably already knew this. Well, <clears throat> I did, but actually the spiritual amnesia part is, is an important thing mm -hmm. because that idea of what mo memorial means, what in memory of me really means. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a commemoration of like, oh yeah, this is, so we have this, we've established this monument that reminds us of something that happened. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's memorial in the sense of I'm drawn into that history. Yeah. And I, I am part of it. And so it's made present for me again. And so I can walk with Jesus as he carries the cross. I can stand at the foot of the cross with John and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. right? I can be there. I'm truly made present there. This this is brought forward in time to me, and I am brought back in time to that moment. That that's really what the memory is. It's not just a here's a here's a stone that reminds us of something. Or right. let me let me remember that I did something and I'm looking back from the outside at the mm -hmm. past. I'm looking back from the outside at something that, that used to be, but no longer is. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, I'm brought to something that is now here for me. You know? Yeah, that's, that's very beautiful. And well, if you look at even the, the Jewish Passover tradition, mm -hmm. the youngest son asks his father at the Passover meal, what makes this night different from all other nights? Oh. And so that question is present tense. What makes this night tonight different from all other nights. Yeah. And this is the night that God leads us out of slavery. Oh, that's really cool. Like even in the words. Yeah. So wow. there's that, that sense of, of this is, this is the night our, it happened to our ancestors and tonight we are led out. So by commemorating the Passover and with that proper sense of, of memory or that particular first century Jewish understanding of memory, mm -hmm. this happens to us. Yeah. This happens to us. And in fact, don't we still have that in so many other aspects of our of our culture, mm. right? Or in so many ways that, that we speak about things. If you talk to people who are involved in the Holocaust Museum or the Holocaust Memories, right, they don't speak about it as something that happened to the Jewish people, mm. but they speak about it as something that happened to us, mm -hmm. to us, even people who were not alive at the time that it happened. Yeah. This happened to us. Yeah. Talk to uh, black people in the United States and they talk to them about slavery and they'll speak about something that happened to, to them. us. Yeah. Now, we know that the, there's a separation in time. Mm -hmm. that I was not there. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, I was not part of it. I was not an enslaved person. But in the sense of I belong to this people, to this group, <clears throat> this happened to us. And the same thing would be true with, with Catholics when we look at the persecutions of the church in mm -hmm. different places. This happened to us as yeah. Catholics. This is who we are. And these are the things that we have gone through, and these are the things that, that we do, and these are the things that have happened to us all through history. That's mm -hmm. why we feel so close to the saints. Mm. Right? You can you can read the life of a saint and feel a particular connection to this one saint, to their story, to the things that they did, to their characteristics, the things that they wrote. You feel that strong connection to them as though they are here with you here and now. Mm -hmm. It's because it's us. And that's what that's what memory does. That's so cool. Yeah. 
And so it kind of reminds me, I took an Ancestry.com DNA test. Okay. So I figured this would be a little fun. Let's jump from mass to Ancestry.com <laughs> no, DNA. Because you're talking... Ancestry.com, not a sponsor of Roar Like the Lamb. <laughs> you're talking about knowing in a, in, a, in a sense, like you want to know where you come from. You want to know your past. You want to sure. know what you're connected to. And it, it's funny, but you know, well, one, I found out somebody in my family was telling the truth about a situation. So that's really good to know. Okay. Um, but uh, what, the first thing I thought about was like, I was so excited to know what I was made up of. Like where, like what's the story of how I came to, you know, to be born in the United States and what was, what were those possible stories right before me? Um, sure. And I'm fascinated by that. I really, truly am. Um, how movements in, in history and all of that kind of, you're still connected to it. But I love this idea too, that as I thought about, you know, this is what D, the DNA thing says about who I am. Um, just, we, we want to know who we are. We want to know where we come from. Yeah. We want to know what makes us, us it's rooted in our hearts, you know, like, so I have signs to tell me, you know, like here are your percentages, but there's always going to be a desire to know where I come from. So I know where I belong. And I love how the church has really been at that place for me to understand. I even come from a lineage of, you know, uh, of martyrs and of saints, of theologians who have like, because of what they did, they passed on this faith that I can like, have and I can treasure and I can cherish. Okay. Um, so nice. that's, that, that's the jump that I was making between like, so I bring it back. You bring it back. I I'm like bringing that. it no, back. I wasn't that's going good. crazy, but no, it was like, good. because of what they did and because of how they lived, I have that gift of receiving that. Yeah. And then, you know, in like, I tell us about your genetics. All right. My genetics. I, I, want, I want to know what is Paula Pena? All right. Well, I am 36% Spanish. Okay. Which is cool. I kind of figured, that wasn't that hard to figure right, out. Right. So th- that's <clears throat> that's kind of the, the, the cool thing is there's stuff that you already know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am 32% indigenous of Colombia and Venezuela. Makes sense. My parents are Colombian. I'm 9% Portuguese. I'm 8% Basque. So that's okay. a pr- that's pretty high. Yeah. That's. I mean. I don't know. The Basque region is is. I mean, in modern day it's Spain. It's tiny. Yes. Yeah. So, so. Yeah. I'm 8% African. So between Nigeria, uh, Cameroon and the Ivory Coast and Ghana. Okay. That's in my blood. Um, 2% Irish. I was like, yo, no way. <laughs> it's kind of cool. You did not expect that. <laughs> no, but I really like Celtic music. So this kind of explains, hopefully this explains something. Remember it's, you, remember you because watched... of that 2% Irish that you like Celtic music. <laughs> remember nice. when you walked into my office and you're like, are you listening to Irish music? I was like, yes. It's great. Yeah. You're like, interesting. I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. Um, and then also Germanic. So somebody had said that I was part German, apparently some great, great, great great grandfather yeah. was that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they were telling the truth. Okay. So now I got to go to Germany. Um, but it, it just was really cool. But you know, looking at this, all of the numbers make sense because of, you know, Colombia was a big slave fort. So you had all mm-hmm. of these countries coming together. Yeah. You had, you know, colonial Europe coming in. It's just interesting to think about that. Like it's what all of the circumstances, you know, and that time period were, gonna bring me and I came out of that and now I'm in the US you know and it it's just really it's just really interesting um but 
I just, I like this, this deeper thing. Like I really want to know where I come from so I can like pass that on. Um, and that's the same thing with like the faith. Like I really want to know the treasure of the faith. Um, you know, who are the people that we highlight and like we talk about so you can continue to pass on that gift, that treasure. Yeah. Um, and just an understanding of like the more that I understood the history of Catholicism, one thing that it did for me is it actually solidified my confidence in it being the church, like the true church that Jesus founded. If I didn't do the history, like, sure, I would be, eh, I really wouldn't care. I would kind of be nonchalant about it. I mean, like, well, everything is equal, but like, no, there was something about just like learning and, and diving deep into the roots of something that, um, just made you understand, oh man, it's just so cool. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So that's how I was bringing it around. All right. So I'm, I'm a mutt between all. I think really most, Other, most, most of us people are. are. Yeah, most of us you are. You should do this. I'd be curious. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the government already knows where I am. <laughs> you don't they're need they're them already to have your watching DNA. me. You know, do I, do I need them to have the, the whole DNA <laughs> and everything? I, they probably already stole it anyway. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the little spies that come in and... and yeah. Yeah. No, the CIA, they're after me. Mm. <laughs> but, but, so, I'll go down the conspiracy theorist rabbit hole real fast here. Yeah, for you, everybody. You, this is going to be great. Do you want to get no, out I'm of that? Kidding. Um, no, no, but it, but it, what's cool though is like when you are in the mass is like you are connected to all of history. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> I had this you go thought. from my conspiracy theory rabbit hole to mass. Well, because I don't really like conspiracy I, theories. I didn't, I just didn't expect you to, to do it that way. I was, I'm impressed. You oh did, yeah. You did great. Yes. I'm, I'm real proud of you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, um, the the idea of that that genealogy and kind of knowing where you come from I think is important and, and in fact you see it reflected in scripture right throughout the scriptures there's genealogies mm, yeah this is who the parent was and this is who their child was and then this is who they had as a child and so you you go through these these great genealogies and and you see a lineage and it it traces back always to God's action mm-hmm. every time one of those people in that lineage had some encounter with the Lord. Yeah, and that encounter with the Lord in in that lineage was important, and it determined certain things that were going to come next. Other times, you see that this person in the lineage, you know, here when we're getting into you know Advent, so pretty soon we'll be reading the the genealogy of Jesus, mm-hmm. and reading the genealogy of Jesus, you you get that sense of of where he came from, in terms of his humanity, and who were the the human ancestors of of Jesus, and you see saints and sinners, you see the great the great ones and you see the worst ones. You see those who were unfaithful to the covenant and you mm-hmm. see those who were very faithful to the covenant. Mm-hmm. And seeing that, you, you start to realize that God, by his grace and by his, his movement, is still always working things out for the good. He's still always moving things in the direction that they, that they need to go. Mm-hmm. So where do we come from? Whatever is in our past, wherever we've been, there's still all of this goodness that God wants to bring about. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Yeah. And even the importance of when you were when God speaks, he speaks of your generations coming, coming after you. Like God is also looking forward. Right. So it's like what I'm receiving right now, how am I also like uniting that to like God's promise of like providing for future generations? Yeah. Um, I've had this conversation with a friend of mine who's done some genealogy research in his own, in his own family. And the sense when, when he talks about it, I, I have a sense that he's got a real genuine affection for his ancestors, yeah, that he feels like he knows them, even mm-hmm. though obviously he's never met them, mm-hmm. because they they're they came hundreds of years before he was born, and he's traced his family lineage back a few centuries. Wow, which is really fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah. but he's been able to do this, and and he says, I, 
when he talks about it, you have the sense that he knows them and that he's not speaking about strangers. Mm. Well, all right, now let's let's reconnect to the mess. Right? Let's, let's, <laughs> Which let's, we keep my doing. Turn. <laughs> it's my turn to make the connection now. When we're celebrating the mass, we're, we're <clears throat> connecting with someone who we really and truly know. We're being brought into this communion with Jesus in the Eucharist, in that celebration, and we really and truly do know him, even though his public ministry on earth ended 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So here we are really and truly celebrating and connected with someone that we know. And there's a real and true dialogue. It's not something that we imagine. It's not something we just sort of feel like, oh, yeah, I feel like I've, I've read so much about him that I know him. Yeah, I've studied so much about him that I know him. No, there's, there's a real genuine knowledge that comes from the Eucharist. And in fact, when you look at, at the, the, the Mass, and actually this was something that uh, Father Kevin Royal said at my first Mass. He was the, the homilist. And at my first Mass, he said, remember that the priest prolongs the presence of Christ. Oh, that's really cool. Right? Oh, I'm going to sit with that. Yeah. Wow. Because that's what's happening in the Mass. Wow. The Mass represents for us, makes us present at Calvary. Wow, that's so cool. And so the presence of Christ at Calvary, the presence of Christ crucified and risen from the dead is prolonged in space and time by the priest who offers the mass. Sorry, my mind is blown, like in a really like amazing, wow. Yeah, so this is how Jesus wills to remain present with his church. That's why we need priests. That's absolutely why we need priests. Wow. But then, so, I mean, this we can keep going into the sacraments, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not just the Eucharist. Right. Uh, it flows into this it. is This is part of the power of when, when we talk about the, the church and the ministry of the church and why Jesus establishes the church. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the church is not to have buildings and to be right. uh, an influence, except insofar as it's a spiritual influence sanctifying the world. Mm-hmm. The, the purpose of, of the church is to prolong the presence of Christ through the celebration of the sacraments. Oh my That's why the Holy gosh. Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit yeah. is poured out on the apostles, it is to give them power, to give them the ability to do these things that make Jesus present, mm. that make God's grace flow into the world. So this, this power of the Holy Spirit is always at work. The Holy Spirit remains here through the church to sanctify the church, to make Christ present, to make God's grace available. So when we celebrate the Mass, we are really and truly in communion with Jesus. We are yeah. really and truly encountering that one who we know. Yeah. It's not a, an imagined knowledge. It's not just looking back at history mm-hmm. at something that happened a long time ago. Oh, yeah, I have to remember that that happened. No, this is really and truly here before us so that we can have that genuine form of encounter. And then all the other graces that we receive, like when I go to confession, when I go to confession and I and I kneel there and I ask for absolution, I am really and truly receiving forgiveness here and now. But in so many ways, I'm kneeling before the cross where Mm -hmm. Jesus is really and truly right now crucified for me. I'm brought back in time and I am present in that moment asking for forgiveness, saying yes to the gift that he's offering me on the cross. Mm -hmm. You know, if I sin, that's when I'm running away like the apostles ran away Mm. and avoided it. But when I go to confession, I'm, I'm saying yes to that to that saving gift. And then the mercy that's poured out on the cross is given to me. Mm-hmm. And so I here and now really and truly receive that mercy. That's amazing. There's, um, I was listening to somebody's wedding video the other day. Like they had posted it online. And I was like, mm, let me listen to the homily. Because <laughs> I, I, I know this priest gives a good, a really good homily. So he said, um, 
something that has to do in connecting it right back to the mass. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> he said, all love seeks an altar on which it can offer itself as a gift. Mm. All love seeks an altar on which it can offer itself as a gift. And I just had to sit with that because I was like, the Lord was filled with so much love. You know, that in the mass and, you know, at that first supper, he identifies himself as that lamb. Um, like he's, the words that you say, like, this is my body, this is my blood, you know, all of those things, all of that is like technical, like temple worship, mm -hmm. like words, um, that now Jesus is identifying self with that himself with that, but to, to pretty much say like, I, I'm, I'm, I want to be poured out for you. I want, like, I just overwhelming that love doesn't seek to simply just keep to itself. Like it wants to be offered. It wants to like lay down its life. It wants to, um, it wants to impact. It's not just as it's not supposed to be a reservoir. And that line was just so, so important. And, and, you know, we said this in the context of a wedding, um, which I thought was really beautiful, but also just at every single mass, this is what the Lord is doing. Like he is offering himself as a gift, um, because his love, he just wants to pour it out. Yeah. Well, so then think of the offertory, mm -hmm. right? The Lord wants to offer himself, but then when the bread and wine is brought to the altar, that's that moment when we are being invited to offer something also. Mm -hmm. So we have something to offer and it's poor gifts of bread and wine, but those gifts are, are meant to be a sign and a reminder of what we are actually offering. Mm -hmm. So when, when the bread and wine come to the altar, the altar server brings over the wine, the priest is pouring it into the chalice. That's the moment when the people who are there are offering themselves. Yeah. Love seeks an altar on which to offer itself. Well, we're called to love God as he loves us. Yeah. Our love for God is always going to be imperfect because it's conditioned by our finite human nature. Mm -hmm. But God's love is infinite and perfect and God loves us truly. Mm -hmm. And God loves us with a love that cannot be described that is beyond our, our human comprehension. Mm -hmm. But that love nevertheless given and poured out for us then we are looking for a way to offer something back. Yeah. So the bread and the wine that's offered is a sign of what we are offering back to the Father, that, that love that we want to offer to God. So at that moment that the priest is, is holding up the, the patent with the host on it, at the moment that the priest is, is offering up the chalice with the wine before he's gotten to those words of consecration, that's the moment for us to be placing on the altar, spiritually, invisibly, our own intentions. Yeah, ourselves. Right? And I, I like this because it gets to this point is, I remember just praying this for myself. It's like, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. Like, like to pray that, to genuinely say, like, I lay down my life, my desires, my wishes, all these things. Like, I want to be a living sacrifice for you. We each actually have to go through that. All of us have to, oh man, that's the place of transformation is like, all right, Jesus, make me a living sacrifice for you and for your church. Um, and in that, you you really do become more like him. And if we're called to imitate Jesus, not just simply by behavior, but it's really to be his hands and feet and be transformed into, a, a, like, to be transformed into him. Um, oh, man, it's like the offertory is actually my, my favorite part of the Mass because it's when I've, when I learned that you can lay things on the altar, that you can lay yourself, that you can lay your hurt, that you can lay every burden that you carry, the Mass came more alive to me. Sure. Because I was coming in with a bunch of things and now all of a sudden there was a place to leave them at. And when I left them on the altar, 
then like the Lord covered it with his, with his sacred blood. Like everything was, everything was being unburdened and lifted. And it really is like what Jesus says. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Um, like give it to Jesus. Uh, and I still think about like that, that is just my favorite part because this is where I can let go and allow God to move. Um, but just that the fact that there's a physical place that I can look at, at mass, like sure, this image of altar, it's so deep. It's, it's, it's about sacrificial love. It's about, um, you know, an atonement of your sins. Like this is the place where everything happens. And to have the privilege to see that at every single mass as a Catholic, it, all of these things are reminding you of like the promise that God has made to you. Um, so when you are struggling with spiritual amnesia, I love that I can just simply look at an altar and remember what does the altar mean? Like this is supposed to evoke a remembrance of like, you know, my salvation story. Yeah. This is the place to, to leave it. Yeah. In fact, but even, even there, that's one of the things that Jesus tells us in the gospel, right? If you go to offer your sacrifice and remember that your brother has sinned against you, that you have sinned against your brother, go and make peace with your brother, leave your gift at the altar, mm. go make peace, then come and offer. So there's that sense of that the altar is so important mm -hmm. that whatever I'm going to offer, I have to be reconciled before I, I come mm. to, to make the offering. Mm -hmm. So my, my offering also requires my own proper disposition. Yeah, and repentance. Yeah, and so yeah. when I look at the altar, it should also remind me to have the right disposition. Mm. It's both that that call, come, offer something. Here's This is the place to, to make that offering. But then what am I offering and, and what am I hanging on to? Mm -hmm. what, what is still weighing me down that might prevent me from making that offering? Right, the, you know? the fact that you can offer relationships yeah. On that. You can offer relationships, your your own your own prayer, your own intention, your own desire to sacrifice, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can all be offered. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love how the, the altar rail is meant to be the extension of the altar. Mm -hmm. It's it's intimately connected. Years back, uh, I took the second graders into the church and we did a little church tour and we were talking about things in the church. And so their catechist was helping them to to point out different things. And we were going through the list of vocabulary. What What is this about? What does this mean? And I asked the kids if they had ever been to any other church besides St. Pius. And one little girl raised her hand and said, I've been to St. Thomas. I said, okay. Uh, and this was before we did our renovation here. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, we said what, what's, the, what's the same at St. Thomas and what's different? And she pointed to the pews and she said, they have the same pews. They have, they have a place for people to sit. Yep, we do. That's right. Good. <laughs> What's different? She pointed up at the crucifix and she said, they have a painting of Jesus. Mm. And I didn't want to correct her and tell her it's a mosaic because I don't think she understands the difference. <laughs> but I said, you're right. They have, they have a painting of Jesus. Good. Mm -hmm. What else is different? And then she pointed to the altar and she said, they have that, but they also have it down here. And she pointed at the step mm. of, the, of the sanctuary. And she was talking about the altar rail. Mm-hmm. That they have that, the altar, but they also have it here. St. Thomas has a gorgeous marble altar rail. Yeah. Right? Well, the purpose of the altar rail is, is that it would remind us of what we have to offer. Yeah. And it provides us with the place where we can approach and offer it. Now, when you come to the altar rail, you're offering it differently. You're offering your gift in a way that's different than when the priest offers the gifts of bread and wine. So what the priest is offering on the altar is something that he has a responsibility to offer. And so the priest is the one who goes to the altar and touches the altar. And yet we are all called to make some sort of an offering at the mass. Mm -hmm. And so all of us coming to the altar rail 
have a place where we can lay that gift, where we can make that offering, mm-hmm. right? So the altar rail is meant, it's not just for time during mass. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I actually have, have a plan for well, as we get into the Advent season, I'm going to talk about the altar rail oh, as cool. a place to pray, as a place to come forward, to draw close, because that's what Jesus is asking us to do in yeah. Advent, to prepare for his coming, mm-hmm. but to to really turn to him and and draw close. Like this is, we're with the Magi right now, right? We're, we're walking on that journey. Magi, Magi, Magi? The Magi, yeah. Oh, I thought you said it differently. That's why. Magi, Magi. There's multiple pronunciations. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. So. Okay. Here we go with Los Tres Reyes. (laughs) 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 We are on the way. You know, they saw the star at its rising. Yeah. But we know they didn't make it there till January 6th. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We definitely did not make it until January 6th. We go with them on that, on that journey, but we're journeying towards Christ. Well, that's what the altar rail is for is to invite us to come forward, to come Mm -hmm. and meet Christ. Yeah. But it's not only at the moment of communion to receive communion at the rails, to to come forward to the altar and to to participate then in the sacrifice Mm -hmm. and to really and truly enter into that memorial Mm -hmm. where Jesus is made present for us, where we are there at the the cross. Yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But outside of mass, the altar rail is meant to evoke the same idea of a place of offering. And so outside of mass even, we can still put something on the altar. Yeah. Right? Now, physically, we shouldn't be going and putting stuff on the altar. That's, that's not the appropriate way <laughs> right. to do things. You know, right. Like there's, there's certain things that are meant to be on the altar and certain things that are not meant to be on the altar. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when, once coming out, uh, this is a long time ago now, and squarely in the middle of the altar, some florist had come in and just put a flower arrangement there, like <gasps> right smack in the middle, oh. and they were delivering it for something, and I was like, why in the world would they have thought that that was well, it was the empty space that they could find? So they oh. just plopped this giant flower arrangement. I picked up. There's like a stain on the from the water of the, oh, the arrangement oh. on the altar cloth, and I was like, ah, oh, man. All right, I gotta tell, tell the floors, please don't touch the altar anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But it was it was an innocent mistake. Why'd you? Why would you do that? <laughs> but I I also have a big thing about a clean altar. I don't like a lot of clutter. Yeah. I don't I don't like lots of stuff on my on my altar. Like give me Wait, the, like, there's a priest in Diocese who likes to put a lot of oh, stuff I've, on well, his altar. Oh, I've seen this in many places. So like yeah. I, I went to a this was outside of the diocese. So I was doing a wedding again years and years ago. I was doing a wedding um and I got to the church and and the the pastor there was very kind and very welcoming to me. Uh but he was also very elderly mm-hmm. and not very mobile. So he had a he had a cane. And I realized that a lot of the stuff that was on the altar was there because he couldn't move to other places around the sanctuary easily uh, enough. So he kept things to prompt him or to remind him to, to so yeah. he had like sticky notes with the announcements for the uh, weekend just stuck on the, on the altar. He had all these little things and it was, it was just so much stuff. I was distracted the whole time. <laughs> I just wanted to clean the altar. <laughs> Let's get rid of all this because there's only supposed to be certain things on the altar. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, that's a whole different thing. But the altar rail. This is good though. I'm sorry. Continue. The altar rail is that place to come and make that offering. Yeah. Especially outside of mass. Yeah. It's meant to be that place. Come close to the Lord. Journey to the Lord. Come up to this place and and make the offering. Um, and so I would really want to encourage people when you've got an altar rail to pray at, go pray there. Come yeah. to the sanctuary, because it's our way of entering into that that sanctuary. What's the sanctuary? The sanctuary is meant to represent the holy of the holies. holies in the temple. That place where we're supposed to be 
oriented. You know, mm-hmm. the, the offering of the sacrifice in the temple is always about the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. But the difference between the Holy of Holies in the temple and the Holy of Holies today is the Holy of Holies in the temple could only be entered by the high priest once every year. Mm-hmm. For us, the Holy of Holies is something that we can approach every single day. We can approach the Lord yeah. every day with that utter confidence that he that He has something for us and that we have something that we can truly offer to him. Mm-hmm. Because he's real for us. He's truly present for us. So, yeah, I'm going to be talking about this as we get into Advent, like using the altar rail. This is on my heart a lot yesterday. Use the rail. Come up. Use it. Pray. I want to see people kneeling there. I want to see people coming up to make that prayer. And and that that bodily disposition is what leads you into like it just is deeper interior disposition to receive the Lord. Like how you are praying with your body matters. Yeah. Um, It's why we have so much going on in a Catholic mass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, the, the incarnational way of, of, of praying. Right. I, I've talked about this in the past too with um, this, the community that I go to for, for my retreat each year in, in, at the monastery. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they use a lot of Eastern uh, Eastern Christian traditions, so oh, very cool. Byzantine yeah. in, in a lot of their, their practices. They have a lot of icons, mm-hmm. um, and they, they make uh, what's called the metony, which is a profound bow. So they make the, the sign of the cross. They make a giant sign of the cross, like from the back of their head to their belly button. And Whoa. it's this big old sign of the cross when they do it. Yeah. But then having made, you know, completed the cross, they bow and they touch the ground. Wow. And then they make, they stand up again and they make the sign of the cross. So they, they make this profound bow and it, it's a sign of, of just utter humility. Yeah. Um, and, and re- bringing heaven to earth. So that's why they touch the ground. And that's really cool. Yeah. Wow. And so they recognize that the cross connects heaven and earth. It's yeah. in the cross. It's on the cross of, of Christ that we find that that profound union between heaven and earth. So they make these profound vows. They do they do all this stuff. And th- there's something so incarnational about it because what they're doing is they're praying with their whole body. Yeah. Everything that they do, those motions all remind them of what's what's happening. And that's the same thing. I mean, that's why we we stand, kneel, sit. That's why mm-hmm. we make the sign of the cross. That's why we, we trace the cross on our forehead, on our lips, and over our hearts. Mm-hmm. That's why we do all of these things because we're, we're incarnate and we believe mm-hmm. that the body is actually a, a way in which we will pray. Right. And, and that is actually all the way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. I think is it Ezra, I think, where the Lord made a mark on the forehead of like a, a group of, I think it was one of the group of people, one of the groups of the the Jewish people in order to, as a sign of protection. Yeah. So it was like, it was a physical mark that they saw, like, like this sign is what's going to the towel, right. Which in, I think when that letter gets translated more into like the modern version, it looks like a cross. Yeah. Well, the, the, the uh, St. Francis used the towel. Yeah. Um, or, or I shouldn't, I don't know if St. Francis, but the, and anyway, the Franciscans typically use the towel as, as their, their, as their cross. Franciscan cross. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so cool. Like this is where it comes from in scripture. And the fact that you, every time we do the sign of the cross, like we're reminded of that one part in scripture that now we've, you know, taken to remind ourselves like, oh, like this is what's, it's a sign of protection. Like I am, you know, calling, that's so amazing. Like they could just call like, asking heaven to come and meet earth, like in their bow and in their bodies. Ah, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Well, that's the, the breastplate of St. Patrick begins with, I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity, mm-hmm. but bind unto myself. Yeah. So there's that, that sense of really connecting this to me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm putting this on. When the priest says the vesting prayers before mass, that each each garment that the priest puts on has its own prayer that goes with it. So first you put on the, the amis, right? And it's... Um, <laughs> We're having an issue. Yeah, issues all over the place. <laughs> uh, the priest puts on the amice, 
and he, he prays that prayer to, to be um, to have the helmet of salvation mm-hmm. right to be girded with the cincture of purity mm-hmm. um, to be washed clean as he puts on the alb and so all these all these things are very incarnational images right and the language is incarnate because it's it's that idea of what we're entering into right well if Jesus took on our human flesh and by taking on our human flesh triumphed over sin and death then here in the flesh I have something that I can offer in union with his sacrifice yeah have you ever heard of the language or this term before like the altar of your heart Mm -hmm. okay so I had somebody ask me that at Crossroads uh, the other day, they're like, well, we're not really sure what you mean by that. And I was like, a little bit interesting. So I explained to me, like, you know, like we each, you know, like there is the one altar of the Lord, but then also we too, like are made to like lay down our lives. Like there are things on the altar that we can clutter with. So when you were describing that priest who had all these things around, it's like, um, it can clutter the altar of our hearts. So if there's situations in my life and if I'm made for worship, but then I put other things that aren't Jesus onto my altar, like I'm going to snuff out the fire of the Lord. And uh, one example, I, I think this really brings it home, is Elijah. And Elijah has to repair an altar mm-hmm. uh, in order to, because who was it? There was a group of people who were asking him, like, oh, we'll prove that, you know, your God exists or something. Um, so he has to build, rebuild this altar that is present, um, and then set wood on it and ask the Lord to set fire on it, um, to show that his presence is really here. I love, I love how Elijah approaches that because the, the priests and the prophets of Baal are, are praying and crying out and slashing themselves with knives and they're hopping around the altar. And Elijah says, well, he's a God, maybe he's busy and he's on vacation or something. Like maybe <laughs> he, he may be taking a nap and he's just, he's just mocking these guys. It's fantastic. And then he slits their throat. That's the, it's it's amazing. Like some of these stories are so much fun to read, right? <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. I remember in, in seminary reading the the story of King David uh, before he was King David, uh, the, the David and Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. And man, I was into it. I was into this story. <laughs> and so the, the, the way the lectionary ends the story is uh, David took Goliath's sword and cut off his head. Oh, and that's how that's how it ends. It's, it's cut off his head. The word of the Lord. And oh, I was like, thanks I was, be to God. I was really into it. And I remember, a guy came up to me after mass. He goes, "Dude, you were really <laughs> into the cutting off of the head." And I was like, "Yes, yes, I was very much." <laughs> Goliath got his come up and. Yo, that's so funny. It was great. That's but so, so funny. again, like even even just reading the story. Yeah. Right? Reading the story of Scripture brings you in a very real way to be present there. Right. And and so like looking at Elijah's story, for example, is he had to go and rebuild an altar. And so for us is what's our altar look like right now? Yeah. Is your altar broken? Does the Lord need to come in and, you know, fix it? Like, but Elijah did the work alongside the Lord, you know? And so that, when I saw that, I was like, well, that's an invitation for me to look at my altar and look at what is on my altar. Is there room for the fire of the Lord to burn or am I snuffing it out? Yeah. In, there's well, a... Think of how Jesus tells us to pray. Yeah. Uh, unlike the, the very big visible prayers where everybody's supposed to watch what I'm, what I'm doing. He says, go to your room, close the door and pray in your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the altar of the heart, that, that place of, of silence, that, that place that is, is hidden from everyone else that yeah. no one else gets to see. There always needs to be that personal investment and dimension of, of your prayer. 
what happens? We so easily get caught up in the external stuff yeah. that we forget to to attend to what's in the heart. Or we get so caught up with, with the things that are going on, we get so blinded by our sin that we start to accumulate a lot of things that block the door, right. that block the way for us to get to the altar. Right. And we do need to clear it out. You're right. right. So you know how I am so successful at building fires? <laughs> <laughs> So Wait. let's no. Can we explain to the tens of listeners? I was gonna explain to oh, them. Okay, explain I to the going, tens of listeners. I was going. I was going to set it up. Go ahead, set it up. Because and I was going to bring it back to a line in Leviticus. So okay. in Leviticus, there's a command like to keep for the priest to keep the fire burning to come back and like give wood so that the fire would continue to burn. Mm-hmm. Now I thought I was thinking about this. I was like, this is interesting. And then when I make fires, because I was thinking about my ability to make fires in the physical, natural sense. Right. I don't give enough room for air to flow. I like, I can put too much together where there's no, there's no oxygen. I I want you to say it. I suck at building fires. Thank you. <laughs> I, I suck at building fires. So the fire doesn't burn and I need somebody I else to I come in. I wasn't going to use the word suck. I was just going to say you're not very good at it. You're, Paola is not skilled at building a fire. If if you were camping with her and and you needed a fire for warmth. You'll get it eventually no, is what I'm no, trying to no, say. No, no, no. You should build your own fire and tell Paola to stay far away. I mean, she can come over and use the fire along with you, but you need to be the one doing this because she's bad at, at making fires. So anyways, I was thinking bad. about my... Like really bad. I'm like, I'm really horrible, but I was like, thinking Like doesn't about... understand the concept of kindling. <laughs> so or using like... dry wood to burn. But I... Or how know, to light a match. I can light a match. It's <laughs> more like it doesn't like the things don't light. I just, I don't know how to do it, but I was thinking about that because I was like, wow, my failure to learn how to build a fire, I thought about it in the spiritual sense. It's like, well, how much am I snuffing out the oxygen in my own life? Like the things that yeah. I'm just cluttering that is not allowing the fire of the Lord to burn because that's what God desires. God desires an altar so the fire burns and he commands that that fire keep burning and that for the priest to continue to come and like continue to add wood to it. Like you're a part of this, all this, this process. And so I was just thinking like, Man. Which is why in the absence of some of our, our Eagle Scout uh, youth group members, I have to come and rescue the fire <laughs> and, and fix it. Right. So you sometimes you need other people to help you. That's priestly to ministry. That, that is. Counts as priestly ministry. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely counts. <laughs> to rebuild the, to build, rebuild the fire. It's Listen, this is so good. This is so many like spiritual like things to it. You need other people to come and help you if you can't do it yourself. We're doing that youth ministry thing where you can, yeah. you can find a spiritual meaning for anything. <laughs> <laughs> This potato is, so, is so I, much like Jesus. Not you know? even that, but like, so I was ordering a pizza the other day. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I had to discern. Uh, when I, no, no, wait, I got one. Oh, I got no, one. No, no, oh, this no. is a good Is this a real one? This, this this actually happened to you? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. It's like when I order pizza for the kids, I always know that I have to do, like I have to order double cut. So in a way, I'm always asking for a multiplication of loaves oh, for pizza. Oh, <laughs> no. That is that is my way of multiplying right, I'm gonna, bread I'm give you and that cheese. I, I grant it. That was good. That was original. That was just now. Yes, I'm giving that one to you. You, 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 get, you get credit. Okay, let's, let's go okay, back go for back. a second. Let's go yeah. back for a second. You go. So we have this, this altar of, of the heart on which we need to offer something. And this is the reminder that in the mass, we're being drawn into something very powerful and unique. And so in every single mass, we are really and truly brought to Calvary. This memorial makes us part of the story. Mm-hmm. But then having been made part of the story, we're sent out. Yeah. 
and being sent out, we're sent out on, on a mission to proclaim what we have heard, to bring what we have received out into the world. So we're sent out, go forth, and we're sent to, to announce this, this truth. So when we first announce the truth, it's what's, what's in our heart, what we, what we carry with us on that altar of the heart. And that's what we're sharing with, with mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And so unlike at the Mass, where the, the presence of Christ is, is real and is there, unlike at the Mass when we are transported in this memorial to Calvary, mm-hmm. in the proclamation out there, out in the world, we're telling the story. And so we're inviting people to hear the story, to hear the truth. And so they start to hear it, but then they want to come. That's the, This is why uh, Bishop Barron talks about the, the great fruit and the great sign of successful evangelization is that people come to Mass. Mm. It's not about just telling people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It, it is very much about telling people about right. Jesus. Let's make sure that we're clear. Yeah. But then that their reception of that word would invite them to come into the mass. Yeah. It's also not just about inviting people to mass because if they if they've just been invited to come to mass but they've not heard the story, oh, right, right. then what's happening at mass will make no sense to them. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what you do to the mass right. to try to make it make sense. It won't make any sense to mm-hmm. them. Because it's in the mass that we're we're really and truly brought to Calvary. So I can go out and tell people to come to mass and they might come. Right. But if I haven't also told them the story if mm-hmm. I haven't shared with them something about who Jesus is or how I have encountered Jesus, yeah, right? They, they won't be able to. So learning that story, learning that story is key. Now, here's an interesting thing that, that St. Ignatius does. We're going to go back to your course on Ignatian spirituality. Cool. Right? When St. Ignatius gives us this, this idea for prayer, part of it is take scripture and open up the story and now place yourself in the story. Mm-hmm. Be present to the story. So as you're reading uh, this parable of Jesus, uh, or as you're reading this uh, this encounter with Jesus, so uh, Jesus encounters the adulterous woman, right? Where are you in the story? Mm-hmm. Are you watching? Are you standing on on the outside watching as this as this happens? Are you one of the men who's brought this adulterous woman and is accusing her? Are you the adulterous woman? Where are you in the story? And to place yourself there. So in other words. Ignatius is teaching us to be present and to allow the, the memorial, so the, the memory of the story, what we're being told, mm-hmm. but to allow it to become something that's real. Right. And to recognize our place in the story. Now, depending on when you read it and the mood that you're in, the particular stage of, of your life that you're in, you might be the one holding the stone ready to throw it right. and learning that you need to throw it away. Mm. Um you might be the oldest of those because Jesus, the gospel tells us that it was the oldest who put the stones down first. Mm. And I think that's that's a really mm. good one. There's, there's good. some wisdom of age. There's a lot of they're, wisdom there. They're ready there. to condemn and, and Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the old guys go, oh, well, that's not going to work. So they throw the stones away and they, they go away. Mm-hmm. They're ready to condemn, but they yeah. also realize if that's how it's going to be, then I have to, I have to walk away. Yeah. It's the younger ones who are like, no, I know, I know, I know, I'm, I'm better than this. But then they have to confront their own sinfulness as well. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe I'm one of the old ones. Maybe I'm one of the young ones, because it's not just about age. You know, there there are plenty of times when old people are are so convinced of their own righteousness that they that they're dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? Dead wrong. Dead wrong. There are times when the young people are so convinced of their own righteousness that they are dead wrong. Dead wrong. It's all, it's all, this, is, this is all part of the human experience. But enter into the story. So place yourself there. So as you're, as you're reading scripture, as you're listening to the gospel proclaimed at Mass, you know, think about this. Where are you 
in that story? Yeah. And, and where would you place yourself? Um, are, are you the one watching? So you're an eyewitness, but you're kind of on the outside. Are you one of the 12 listening as, as an apostle? Are you the one who received the healing? Mm-hmm. Are you the one in the crowd telling blind Bartimaeus to shut up and leave Jesus alone? Like, where are you? This is why I love closing my eyes during the gospel. That's like, well, I close my eyes a lot throughout mass because. Not because she's sleeping. Not, not because I'm she's sleeping. taking naps. Not because she's trying to ignore <laughs> what's happening. No. No, but it, it, <laughs> it really gives me the space to enter into listening and to yeah. use my imagination during mass. Like, um, there are like very particular moments where my eyes are always closed. Um, because it brings me into a deeper place of prayer because I'm using my imagination to pray. Um, uh, it's just, it's so good. I think my niece was with me in Antoine. She goes, are you sleeping? I was like, no, I'm praying like nothing. I'm not sleeping. <laughs> see, That's something that for her. She's, she's going to learn over time. I, yeah. I remember, um, talking to uh, a priest who I, I know very well now, but I didn't know him very well at the time. And I was telling him I was getting distracted in prayer. And he said, well, what do you see other people do? I said, I, I don't know what you mean. He said, when I was a kid, I'd go to mass and I'd watch my father and I'd watch him as he knelt after communion and he would cover his eyes with his hands mm. and he'd just bury his face in his hands and he wouldn't look up at all. And I started to learn from him why he was doing it. Mm-hmm. At first I just imitated him. Mm-hmm. I would just, after communion, I would just bury my face in my hands. And mm. so like a little kid, it, it looks kind of like <laughs> you're just trying to see how, how, how far you can get your, your hands into your face, right? But then he said, after a while, I asked him, Dad, why do you cover your eyes? And he said, it's because in that moment I want to be with Jesus mm-hmm. and I don't want to be distracted by the stuff that's moving around me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be looking at anything else. I just want to try to focus on Jesus. And he said, so that physical posture has helped me ever since. Yeah. So what would you do? What's the physical posture that would help you the most? Now for me, covering my eyes with my hands wouldn't be the, the most helpful thing. Um, that's not going to, that's not going to help me, but it'd be very easy for me to close my eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I started to, to do that after I received communion, mm. go back to my spot and I close my eyes and just try to remain in, in prayer. And it made the prayer that much better, that mm-hmm. much easier. I found myself with this at one of our big diocesan masses. It was the chrism mass one year, I think. Uh, so the chrism mass, all the priests of the diocese can celebrate. And there's something really powerful about being with all your brother priests mm-hmm. and con celebrating. And, and then you go forward to the altar, you, you've received communion and then you're, you're back in the pew and the people who have attended the mass are coming forward for, for communion. And I found myself just sitting there and I had my eyes open kind of watching people going by. Wait, wait a second. I don't care who's here. I've already seen the brother priests who are here and had, had this part. I've seen the people as I processed in. I know, I know who's here. No, like in that, I, mm-hmm. not that I know that many people who are there, but like I, I've, I've seen that there are people here. I don't need to watch mm. communion being distributed mm-hmm. because communion is not a spectator sport. Right. Communion is something that I am participating in. So for me to sit there and watch people receiving communion doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. It's not about me watching them. Yeah. It's instead about them receiving and 
while they're receiving, I'm joining them in prayer. I've already received, you know, mm-hmm. I received before, before the, this person or something. So like wherever you're sitting in the church, you, you might receive before the person who's seated behind you, you might receive after them. But in that whole rite of communion, you're still united in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so for, for those who have already received, they're starting to make their act of thanksgiving. And maybe if they're aware of something, they're uh, aware of other people who are receiving, they start to pray for those people who are still coming forward to receive. And maybe while you're waiting for your turn to come up and to receive, you're praying for the people who have already received. Lord, give them grace. Let them experience something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do this a lot at, at uh, Catholic Heart Work Camp when we have adoration. I start to pray a lot for the kids who are there that they would encounter the Lord in a powerful way. Yeah. That whatever their prayer is, they they would know it. I remember one year praying for for our kids, and there was there was one in particular who I knew was was struggling with just openness to God, and really praying for him. And it was he was just very much on my heart. I couldn't see him in the gym where we were, uh, and and I just wanted to pray for him. And he was he was very much on my heart. So I was praying for this kid that he would be able to encounter the Lord. And as kids were coming up closer to the monstrance and touching the the cloth that was hanging down from it, as they were coming up to to the Lord in the, in the Eucharist, uh, I would kind of peek every once in a while and see who was there. Mm. And then that kid was the next one coming up. And I remember just being so grateful watching him going up to pray and really intensely I, I watched the whole time not because I was interested in, in what he was doing but because I just wanted to also be with the Lord in that moment to say Lord take care of him mm-hmm. I know he's carrying a lot I know he's, he's got a lot of intentions let this be that moment where he where he really meets you mm-hmm. and it was powerful it was yeah. it was a really powerful moment of, of interceding so in even though we're not it's not about spectating right. it's not about mm-hmm. watching <laughs> There's still that that way in which we're united together yes. in that in that prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to offer the graces that you receive to pour into the people. Right. That's that's like the coolest thing too. Like, the graces you received in the Eucharist, you can ask that to be poured into other people's lives. Right. Which is so cool. So I was like, all right, Lord, start dousing all the people around me. <laughs> like a little bit for him. A little. You get a grace. You get a grace. You get some grace. Paula plays Oprah <laughs> in church. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you do the Oprah voice when you pray? No, no. That was just the, the here Lord! and now moment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I forgot about that yeah, one. That'd be great. That's funny. Uh, no, no, that's it. That was just for here and now, never in church. Okay. All yeah. Right. Just for the podcast. Just for the podcast. Not for in church or real life. Okay. Okay. Oh, goodness gracious. If it shows up, I'll text you. I'll let you know. Like, oh, I prayed an Oprah <laughs> voice today. <laughs> oh, my. Can you imagine if you prayed in different voices? Nah, I can't well, do so that. that. That's a thing. All right, that, that's that's the thing. I don't know. Do I have a church voice? So serious question, because I, I, I heard this on a podcast recently. They were talking about how it's possible sometimes to have a slightly different voice depending on who you're talking with or, or when you're doing things. So this happens a lot. Um, people who uh, maybe have uh, some some influences from another another country, uh-huh. they, they might sort of pick up the accent of that country at different times. Like this is the thing that still gets me when I speak Spanish, that I have a Spanish accent. You do. And, and yeah. Yeah. I don't really know how that happened, but it's it's there. I learned Spanish in Mexico, I and I used to have a Mexican accent. Now yeah. I've got a Spanish. It's it's yeah. It's strange. I don't really and it's fascinating. And it's not super intentional either. Yeah. You know, I'm not like I'm not trying to to sound better or anything, but like sometimes you you get a slightly different accent based on the people that you're around. Yeah. You know, so if you're around a lot of people from from the south, for example, for a long time, you might start to pick up a little bit of a twang, Listen, a little bit of southern accent, a little bit of drawl. Give me a week. 
Give me a week in Texas. Yeah. It happens every season. And you're you're gonna start picking up a little it bit. It always of it. happens. And I'm like And it's not it's not super intentional again. It just sort no. of it just happens. I just start absorbing people's yeah. accents. Same thing, like very often when somebody gets up and speaks in public, they have a slightly different microphone voice than they do in, in ordinary conversation. I mean, for you, you you're louder in church. Okay. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. Yeah, like you, I mean, like you have to be loud. But louder, like in preaching or louder at the altar too? No, louder, louder in preaching. Yeah. You're definitely louder in preaching. Um, yeah, you just, you just get really excited about what you're talking about. You just, you. But is, do, do I have a different voice? Like I, I know people who change mm -hmm. pitch. No, I wouldn't say that you do. Okay. No. I remember you telling me of somebody that you know who has two different voices. Oh yeah, totally different. Um, but I, I, I also, I also <laughs> like knew a guy who when he would, when, when he would preach, this was like in our seminary practicum, he would, he would preach and every once in a while he had a British accent for some reason. Like, you're, not, you're not from England. What's going on? And, and he was genuinely not aware that it was happening. Wow. It just sort of happened. He was trying to be formal. That's interesting. And so when he, when okay. he tried to, to speak more formally, he had a little bit of British going on. Uh, and mm. it, was, it was interesting. So I was wondering, like, do, do I have that? And just, I just don't see it. I don't no. know it. No. No. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully that that helps you. Yeah, if I if I pick up a strange voice, just just let me know. But if I start speaking Oprah, um, or... <laughs> oh my gosh, can you please do that? You know how you would do those 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 challenges at CHWC, and yeah, like no, Mike McDuffie would have you say a word. A, that's working a word in. I mean, to working actually, a word in. Can you work an accent in? Work an accent in. Their tens of listeners are going to be so excited to hear that. <laughs> they will understand. Yeah, they'll understand. They'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> oh man, that would be so cool. Oh my goodness. But what would what would your Oprah voice look like? Sound like? Uh, I'd have to think one through. I mean. I mean, you got to use something where like every you're talking to the entire congregation. You're like, you get something, you get something, but yeah. you'd have to figure out what that something is. Yeah. Um, or it could just be. You are like, like when the books come in. For 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 Christmas or Advent? No, not today. We have the book. You get a book. You get a book, yeah. and you get a book. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I but know. That's, I mean, that's every every single person who tries to imitate Oprah does the really big last word while like throwing their arms yes. out, and then says, "You get it. You get it." You could it. do that's it. That's the only imitation, though. I know, but you, know? you could. You should do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. <laughs> I have something to look forward to. Let's wrap this up. Okay. This, this is where like the lamb. <laughs> you said wrap it up. Oh, I know, but I didn't mean like quite like that. I, I just want to. I just want to come back one one last time, real quick. Okay. To the mass. Okay. Right. Because the mass is that memorial. It, it's it's the memorial in the sense that it binds us across time and space. <sighs> yeah. To all those who have celebrated this. To all those who have have worshiped mm -hmm. and who all those to all those who are currently worshiping or, or will be worshiping. We're, we're put into a community that is always present. Yeah. So what has happened in the past and what will happen in the future is actually part of our present. Present. Yeah. This happens to us. We are at Calvary. We're there at the foot of the cross. We are experiencing the, the sacrifice that Jesus offers. Yeah. And Calvary is the spring of grace. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to come back to that because yeah. I think that's so important. And then to remember in the more modern understanding of memory, to remember it and to keep that memory alive in our hearts, to keep turning it over, to keep going back to it. Yeah. And then each time you see the altar outside of the mass, to be reminded. Mm -hmm. Each time you see the cross outside of the mass, to be reminded. 
And then each time you encounter someone or you read the scriptures to be reminded of that, of that profound connection and presence that is always there. Mm-hmm. Mm. You summed it up really well. I have nothing okay. else to add. Cool. <laughs> this is where I like the lamb on Palapena. White vans. <laughs> You just said something like so deep and profound and you have to end it with that. You started it. Yes, but starting is different than ending it. <laughs> and I've ruined everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that affirmation. You're great. I'm just good at affirming. It's true. You are. I try my best. You're very good. <laughs> it's at it. very hard. <laughs> I appreciate you. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. And I'm Paula Pena. Again, God bless you. <laughs>